in our day-to-day lives. It's not something that's mentioned, and it's not something that, that we like to mention, even as Christians today. Holiness is, is something that is actually fleeting. I, I saw a Facebook post earlier this week, and it was, it was kind of disheartening to see. It came from a Christian, someone who I know well back home, and it said, God is real. It's the Christians that are fake. And I went to the comment section, and I read all the comments, and everybody was like, yeah, that's right. And, I mean, these people are, are Christians at church, and they, they have the audacity to talk about Christians. And, and I, I, I went to the comment section, and I wanted to reply so bad. I wanted to tell them, you got to be careful how you talk about the, the bride of Christ. I wanted to tell them that, hey, you got to be mindful that if you set yourself against Christians, then you're setting yourself against God. I wanted to tell this young man, I wanted to tell him that Christians are the only ones that Christ is coming back for. So when you set yourself up against Christians, it says God is real, it's the Christians that are fake. You're not identifying with Christianity at that moment. But then I couldn't. Because in the comment section, they, they had a point. Christians aren't acting like Christians anymore. We're being conformed to the image, and it's not the image of Christ nowadays. It's, we're, we're being okay with coming here one way and going to our job a different way. We're okay with putting on holy speech when we come into the house of the Lord, but then talking any kind of way when we're with our friends, when we're with our coworkers, when we're with our family. We don't, we're ashamed of what they might say. So he, First Peter is addressed to Gentile Christians who are dispersed all over Rome. And if anybody knows anything about Rome, they're, they're pretty good at a couple different things. They're good at torture. Their techniques were some of the ones that was used to crucify our Savior. They were, they were known for their cruelty, especially against Christianity. And they were known for their immorality. Rome was almost like what we would consider Vegas to be. It was sin city. Any and everything could go down at Rome. But we had, we had Christians that were dispersed in various cities among, along the way in Rome. And this is where Peter was who Peter was writing to. He was writing them, telling them, and reminding them who they were in Christ. Because it is so hard to, to live in a country where you're the minority and any and everything is going on, and they're, they're practicing uh, the, the practice of worshiping many gods, polytheism. And he was just reminding them that you are a chosen people. You are God's chosen people. You're the ones that he died for. Even in verse 12, it says, it was um, in verse 11, he said, the prophets were inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them 
that they were serving not themselves. The prophets weren't serving themselves, but they were serving the people that they were writing to, the Gentiles, the ones that would be converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was telling them that they had extreme worth in Christ, and they ought to act like it. So because you were, you were bought with a price, because God has, has sent prophets, he has sent men of God, faithful men of God, now you can identify with them, and not just identify with them, but this is who... This is what everybody's been waiting for, for Gentiles to hear the gospel and for their hearts to be renewed. And it was all possible through Jesus Christ. So he's writing them. He says, therefore, therefore, because you are in Christ, because you have believed, because you have loved this Jesus, because you have identified with him even at your jobs, because you have identified him even in the face of persecution, even in the face of backlash, even in the face of, of being called out of your name and being reviled, you, you have identified with him. So he says, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hopes on grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in the King James Version, it says, gird up the loins of your minds. Now, this verbiage points back to uh, Old Testament verbiage in, in the book of Exodus where they were preparing to leave, when God was preparing to deliver them from the Egyptians. It was referring back to the Passover. It has verbiage referring back to the Passover. And they were to eat their food. It says in Exodus 12 and 11, it says, In this manner shall you eat it, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So because they, were, they had already partaken of the Passover of Christ, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, because they were Christians, now they have to prepare, their, they have to be always ready. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. It, it, it has references back to Romans 12, 1 through 2, where it says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body in sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. He said that you have to renew your mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may um, prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So Peter is remind, he's not just reminding them, but he's preparing them. He's saying, prepare your minds. How do, how do you prepare your minds? With faith in the word of God. We have to continually be conditioning our minds with the words of God. We have to continually be ready for persecution, to live like Christians throughout persecutions. We have to be ready for what is to come. Every time the word gird was used, it was either referring to girding up sackcloth in order to repent before God, before it was too late, before his wrath would take effect on you. Or it was talking, um, David said it a lot, to, to gird your swords, to be ready to fight, to strengthen yourself and to, and to be ready to move at, at his command. So, so this thing that says gird is not an option. 
It's not an option for Christians to be successful in this life, to live a Christian life on your jobs. You can't do it on your own. You can't, you can't do it in and of your own strength, but you have to gird your mind up. You have to be ready for what's to come. You have to be ready for the persecution on your job. You have to stand up and be ready to fight. And he also said that you must be sober-minded. With all the troubles that we have on, going on today, with all, the, with all the violence, the gun violence in Louisville, with all the unpredictable um, actions of our government. We've, we've been at war for over 20 years. With the unpredictability of, of what's to come and what our future holds, we have to be sober-minded. We have to be constantly feeding ourselves the truth of the gospel. And he said, if you, you have to gird up your minds, you have to strengthen yourself and prepare your mind, and then he said you have to be sober-minded. Once you've made up your mind to believe the truth of the gospel, you gotta, you got to stick with it. You can't go back and forth on what, on what you believe. And a, lot of, and a lot of us do. I like how Pastor said it. He was talking about persecution. And he said the purpose of persecution is to silence your witness. The whole point of persecution is to make you be quiet, to, to discredit you. They call us names. They revile us. They, they, talk, they say all kind of manner of evil about us, and it's not all the times our enemies. Sometimes it's those people that, you, that have asked you to pray for them. Sometimes it's your family members that on multiple times come to you as a spiritual leader because they know your relationship with God. He says you got to be so minded. You can't be back and forth because this world is going to be back and forth. They're going to love you one minute and hate you the next. Your affections, your allegiances have to be grounded in the word of God, and you have to stay there. You have to sit there, no matter what the persecution brings. And then it says you have to fully hope in the grace of God, in the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't be trying to come up with different things that we look to to bring us through different situations. We have to fully be looking to Christ as the plan of salvation in our personal situations. We have to know that the only thing that's going to fix our situation is Jesus Christ crucified. And that's what we preach as as Christians. That's what we affirm, that Jesus Christ crucified is the thing that holds us together. It's the thing that fixes our situation. It's the only thing that's going to fix that anger that we have in our hearts. It's the only thing that's going to fix that bitterness that we have from the world. It's the only thing that can, that can heal us from our unrighteousness. It's not education. It's, it's not our job. It's not making more money is going to get you to a place where you can serve God better. It's not going to strengthen your witness that, that they see you successful and somebody's going to believe in God. No, it's Jesus Christ, the grace of God holding you together throughout that is our full hope. We have to have faith, church. As Christians, we cannot go back and forth. Our faith has to be fully rooted and grounded in Christ. I love in Hebrews where where it says they they hoped for so long and didn't get to see the promise. 
They didn't get to see the promise. In, in Hebrews 11, it's, the, it's the, the faith hall of fame is what they call it. And around the 13th chapter, 13th verse of that 11th chapter, it says, um, and it was talking about the fathers of faith. It was talking about Abraham, and it was talking about Moses and how they had faith that, that he would make them a, a father of many nations and that he would bring them out of Egypt into the promised land and, and that he would fulfill all his promise. And verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a home. If they had been thinking about their land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. And that's the mindset that we have to have. It may not get better in this lifetime for us, but their hope was not left in shame. They didn't hope in vain. I really don't like my analogy that I got for this one, but I'm going to use it anyway. For anybody who knows me, everybody knows that I'm a huge LSU fan, Louisiana State University fan. I'm a, I'm a Tigers fan. And every year, we go against Alabama. Okay. <laughs> we go against the University of Alabama, the Crimson Tide. And since 1895, we've, we've been playing them, and we've met a total of 83 times. Fifty-three of those times, Alabama has came away with the victory. And for the last eight years straight, they have, they have held us to, I think, like 12 points in the last eight years. So it's been a very disappointing time. But every time, every time that me and Vanika, a lot of people don't know, but my wife, she's an Alabama fan, we watch this game together, and every year, I get my stuff on, you know, I got my hat on, my LSU hat, my LSU shirt, and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm hoping that they'll win. And I, I see the game differently than she sees it because I'm hoping that they, they're going to pull it through some kind of which way. And I put my full faith that somehow we're going to win this year. And for the last eight years, <laughs> that has let me down. And so all the Facebook posts that I, you know, talking junk to my friends who are Alabama fans, all of that potential glory turns to shame. And thank God my wife doesn't, but some of my friends, they do. They, they bring up my own words to pour and add a lot more shame onto the situation. So instead of celebrating in their glory, I get to, to sit in the shame with, the, with LSU year after year, and that's not so with Christ. Abraham, he, he hoped, he hoped, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God when he said that I'm going to make you a father of many nations. This man is 100 years old and doesn't have a kid when he made the promise. But 
Abraham believed him, and he is not. He is not held in shame, but he gets to celebrate in the glory the promises of God fulfilled. And that is the same way, that's the same disposition that we have to have. On your job, hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. That is, don't be ashamed to say when they're having those political debates at work that we're not really supposed to have about our president and about the government and how we're, like, don't be afraid to say that Christ crucified is how we're going to get out of this mess. It will not be held to you as shame, but you, you will be able to celebrate with your father who is victorious. We fight from a position of victory. We see the game a lot differently. We're supposed to be seeing this world a lot differently than what we view it as. We should be hopeful as Christians because guess what? The victory is already won. The victory is already yours in Christ, and he secured it. Nearly 2,000 years ago on the cross, we should be having something to celebrate today as Christians. So right thinking, right thinking gets us to, the, to being able to present our bodies as living sacrifices for him. How much glory does he get when we are holy in his sight, when we are not holy without being without sin, but when we are blameless before him? when we can stand knowing that our sins have been forgiven by the Father and that our way is upright and that we obey his statutes and whether um, looked at in a positive or negative light, that we know that we're in right standing with Christ. We are blameless before the Father so that we can walk before men. As Christians, we're, we're shying back too much. God has a plan for salvation. We're trying to figure out how we're going to disciple all these people, but God already has a plan for that, and, and he says he does it through you. If you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. Starting at the 22nd verse, he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord of God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned against, among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate holiness before their eyes. We are called to holiness, and that's how he will vindicate the nations. Through your walk, somebody will see Christ. Through your actions, through your talk, through the way that you handle things differently, somebody's going to see God, and his name will be vindicated, he says. Your holiness is not an option. Right thinking, tying up every thought that might cause you to stumble, is where it starts. 
And then, verse 14, verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy. What is he talking about? What is holiness? You're calling us to holiness, but we are living in sin. But we live in flesh. We're confronted with sin daily. How are we to be holy like you are holy, Lord? What is holiness? Holiness is being set apart. It is to separate yourself from sin, and it is to dedicate yourself fully to God. It is the way and the grace and and the means that God operates today. Holiness is not something that we can choose to put on or put off. Holiness, everything associated with God is holy. There's nothing that is associated with God that, that, isn't, that, that cannot be called holy. Even when Moses was at the bush, he told him to take off your sandals because the ground that you're standing on is holy, because it is separated from sin at that purpose, and it is dedicated to God for a specific purpose, and that was to, to, for salvation of his people. He was going to commission Moses on those grounds, so the very dirt, at that moment that he stood on, was holy. How much more holy are we when we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit? When, when we say no to our own wills and say yes to his, when we, when we separate ourselves from sin and we dedicate our lives to his purpose, we are holy. That is what it means to be holy. It says, as children, as obedient children, it's the difference between children and obedient children. <laughs> my 10-year-old and my 2-year-old is teaching me that. A lesson that I probably taught my parents and they probably taught their parents. But uh, as obedient children, so in order to honor the father, you can't honor him with disobedience. He's not honored by a life full of sin by someone that he died for. Even in, even in his word, he says, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 20, it says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. We glorify God when we are, when we are, considered holy in his sight. And when we are considered holy in his sight, we open ourselves up to persecution. I don't care what your affiliation was before you accepted Christ. I don't care if you were part of the minority or a part of the majority here in America. You have opened yourself up for persecution in every part of your life. When you've dedicated your life to Christ, you became exiles just like your fathers, your, our forefathers who we were adopted into, just like Abraham had to leave his home and become exiles and wander and hope for this promised land. that he would. That's what we did when we accepted Christ, guys. When we chose to live a holy life, we separated ourselves from our mothers and our fathers. We separated ourselves from our affiliations with any type of allegiances that we have to this world. I separated myself from the Louisiana State University Tigers. 
I separated myself to a place where I am open for persecution. I am wandering in this world now. I don't have a home anymore when I, when I have accepted Christ into my life. This is, this is the call to holiness. And it's something that they say you should not take lightly. As Christians, we right now, we're right now, some of us are wearing the title Christian without really being filled with the, the product of Christianity, which is holiness. We, we got the sign and it's nice and pretty on the outside, but then when people come to us, they're able to say that God is real and Christians are fake because we're not selling the product of Christianity. We're not filled with holiness like we're supposed to be filled. We're not representing Christ in the way that we should be representing Christ in our daily lives. And we're riding Grace's coattails along the way. And he says, no. He says, no. He says, Peter reminds them, the Old Testament, it's old, but it ain't, it ain't outdated. He says, be ye holy. He references Leviticus. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. That wasn't just the Old Testament reference. That was a command from God. And that command from God comes over into this new covenant. He does not save you in order to live any kind of way. He's not saving us so that we can speak any kind of way. We're not, he, he didn't save us that we could be defeated by sin time and time again. It's, it's somebody right now who's going to go home and that same sin that's been bothering them for the last 10 years is going to get the best of them today. They know, we know the power of God. We know that he overcame death. We know that he overcame sin. And we're going to live in defeat time and time again to the same sin. He's greater than that. He didn't save us. He didn't give us grace for anything. He gave us grace that we might be holy. He gave us grace that we could overcome the sin. He said that we share in his persecution. We share in his death. We have to die to ourselves. But guess what? We get to live with him again. Because Christ, because Christ was resurrected, we can have power over sin. You don't have to live in defeat to that same sin time and time and time again. You can say no today and tomorrow and the time again after that. He, he gives us a way of grace, and he wants us to use it. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's telling us how to act in this world. He's telling us what our hopes are. We cannot hope in anything else and expect to live a holy life. We have to look at him sitting on the right hand of his father in order for us to live and to want to live and to be encouraged to live time and time again when we see what we see. That's the part of that being sober-minded. He says, be obedient as children. Put away your idols. Accept the sonship that has been placed in your lap by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformity is the greatest 
it is the greatest form of worship. When we conform to this world, we're not just being like everybody else. We're not just imitating the world and, you know, just trying to fit in a little bit. We are worshiping the ways of this world. Y'all know how it works. I remember when I was growing up, it had these stupid little fads all the time. And Nelly, Nelly was one of the biggest fads. He had this Band-Aid that he would wear. I don't know whether it was the right eye or the left eye, but he used to wear a Band-Aid under his eye. He did it one time, and all you see at school, everybody got a Band-Aid under their eye. We see something, we think it's cool, we like it, and we live our lives in that manner. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to what you see. It says, don't slip back into those former ignorances before you knew Christ. We used to do that before we knew Christ. We used to think that was cool before we knew Christ, right? But he says, if you value me, that you will be conformed in the image of me. And guess what? I am holy. Holiness is the way in which we worship God. I like how Paul puts it. He, he doesn't say uh, in verse 15, I, I like how he puts it uh, in, in his Gospels. He says conversation. And Peter uses this same language. He says, let your conversation or your conduct in verse 15 uh, be holy. And when he says conversation, he's not saying what you talk about, but he's saying how you walk it out. He said, let what you what you're walking out be in good conversation because you're communicating with everybody else what is in your heart. Let what is in your heart be holy. Let what you set your affections on be holy and not be of the world. Man. So we, we do. We worship the world. We worship the world and we try to worship God at the same time. It says in the Bible that uh, it's, we're a perverse generation because we worship him with our lips. That's the only conversation that we have, though, with our lips. But our heart, our walk, our conduct, our conversation is far from him. It's far from uh, who he is as God, as a holy God. So let, let our conversations be pure. And why should we let them be pure? Because if we call on him as father, if he is our father, guess what? We take on the attributes of our father, of our parents. It's, it's some people still blaming the attributes of their parents for how they act today or how they talk today or how they look today. And, and we're no different from our heavenly father when we... Ephesians 2, 1, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin because you used to go after the passions of your flesh. We used to walk in that way. We used to, we used to do whatever we were big and bad enough to do. We used to act however we wanted to act, but God is calling us to a higher standard today, and he's calling us to it, and, he's, and Peter says it's not going to be easy. Jesus said the same thing in John 20 when he was talking to his disciples right before he died. He said, if you do everything right, they're going to hate you because they hated me. And, and because I've called you to be like me, 
I've called you to imitate me. I've called you to even take on the same mind that I have. I've, taught, I've called you to be concerned with the same things that I've been concerned with. So I'm, I'm laying out your path. If you do everything as a Christian that you're supposed to do, expect persecution. First Peter says, don't even think, don't think it's strange when it comes. It's supposed to happen. Don't think, oh man, I'm doing everything right. Why am I being persecuted? Because you're doing everything right. The world doesn't like you. Why are, you try, why are we trying to be friends with, the, why are we selling out our God in order to fit in with this world? We have to make a decision today, and why, why would we make that decision? It says in verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Because he died for us. Because he saw the messed up situation that we were in. He saw that the way that we were headed was unto death. The, the way that we're trying to fit in with our, with our friends and our coworkers, it's a way, it's a little passive way to keep ourselves comfortable all the way until we get to death. Until we have to answer to, to a God who is in into a God who is a judge and a judge who doesn't take bribes. He is impartial. It says he's going to judge each and every one of us on our conduct, and he's impartial. Because he is pure, because he is holy, we ought to be like him. He has a plan for holiness. And as we read in Ezekiel 30. Four, um, in 23, it's, it says that you're part of his plan. You're part of his plan for holiness. You're the way that somebody is going to come to Christ. Your walk and your decision not to live a double-minded life, not to, to be sober in your mindset, to be renewed in your thoughts, to be hopeful in Jesus Christ alone, that declaration that you make today to live your life differently than you once did before is going to be the way and the means that God brings salvation to this earth. If you think that somebody needs Jesus, walk it out. Like, we're, we're trying to give everybody else the Kool-Aid without drinking it first ourselves. We have to believe what we say, and if we believe what we say, we're going to walk it out. We're not, we're not going to be conformed to this world. If you, got your, if you got any model that you have from the world, you need to get rid of it. I hear it so many times among Christians that, oh, I can just cut, I can cut somebody off. I can, I can just, like, my peace, my peace is more important than dealing with this headache, right? So I can just cut them out. God didn't do that. It says in Verse 22 of chapter 2, it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. If you got your, your motto in the way that you deal with people from a rap song, you messing up. If that's how you conditioned your mind, if that's what you have your hope set on, like, you, you done messed up. And I ain't got nothing against rap. I think God can redeem rap, too. 
But he says he didn't, he didn't, count, like, he didn't count equality with God as something to be had, but he, he went and died for us. He was persecuted with us. He identified with our sufferings in order that we might be saved. And in that like manner, he calls us to that same type of holiness. He's, he calls us to, to that same type of mission. He has this perfect plan, and he's always had it. And it's always included us. It has always included us, and it has always included a close relationship with them. But we veered off from that. We start conforming to this world because it was easier. It was easier because we didn't get picked on that way. It was easier because our family still liked us that way. They still came around us that way. It was easier because they had no persecution. I could live the most comfortable life. I could live in peace with people and people can be my friends. People pleasing will get us somewhere, but it won't be the glory of God. So we veered off from that and we start filling his holiness with the conformities of this world. Whether it's drugs or alcohol might be that. Whether it's sex, sexual immorality, taking that and defining it of our own and trying to, and trying to please and, and fill a void that God has, has placed with holiness, there is there's extreme joy in walking in holiness. It is an extreme peace to walk in holiness. It is an extreme amount of assurance that you have when you walk and you know that you're in right standing with God. And to fill it with everything else is to, is to veer off. And we have veered off from that, Christians. We have veered off in every aspect of our lives. We have conformed in some kind of way or another. And not just you, all of us, every last one of us in this room need to repent, need to audit our lives and see what is like Christ and what is like the world. And we need to get rid of it. We need to take those philosophies, those old set-in-our-ways philosophies, and we need to get rid of them because it's going to be hindering somebody from coming to Christ. He has debased every, every requirement that we couldn't meet in order that we be saved. He has made it attainable and reachable that we be in close relationship with him. And in that like manner, we ought to do the same thing. Just because you don't like someone don't mean that you're not called to them. God, we were God's biggest offense in this whole universe. He was holy, and everything that he created did exactly what he told it to do, except for man. The biggest offense in this world, he came and he died for. He calls us to the same. He calls us to that same type of suffering. He calls us to the same. It's not going to be easy. That's what church is for, to come together with people who know it's not going to be easy. And then to go back into the world and to live a life that's unhindered by unholiness and unrighteousness among people. He says that I'm going to call you to be in the world but not of the world. And that can only be obtained through Jesus Christ. We can't walk it on our own, and he has walked it for us. He has made it possible that we attain holiness. And just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, That's what we're called to do. We are called to believe the words of God. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father,
we come thanking you for this preaching opportunity, Lord God. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace, Lord God. We know that your, your holiness, Lord God, is unmatched. There's none like you in all of the earth, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for dying on the cross for us, Lord God. And I just pray that something was said or something was done today, Lord God, that, that your word, your gospel has went forth in such a way that it will cause Christians to step up to the call to holiness, Lord God. That we won't live our lives in the way that we would like to live it, Lord God, but we would, that we would search your scriptures, Lord God. And we would live it in the way that you would have us to live, that we would that we would think in the way that you would have us to think and that we would speak in the way that you would have us to speak, Lord God. And we ask all these blessings in Jesus' name. I do pray. Amen.